Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to the Basin Binge, everybody. My name is Harrison, your host, and today we're diving into another episode. And it happens to be the fifty episode, the fiftieth episode of the Basement Binge. Fifty episodes. We officially we've made it. Fifty episodes. I, that's that's crazy. I can't believe we're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for downloading the show and reviewing it and sharing and clicking on all the links I always mention and enjoying these wonderful films with me and having a ton of fun through all the highs and lows and all the changes. Fifty episodes. It's been over a year, but fifty episodes. That was a lot of work that went into these and a lot of time listening to them. Hopefully it's been as enjoyable for you as it has for me and you've grown as much as I have and had, has, have had as much fun as I have. This has been a ton of fun. I can't believe it. 50 episodes. That feels unreal. Um, I know it's just me now, but when the three of us, Cade, Kelton, and I, we all started the podcast, 50 episodes or even a year of doing the podcast seems so far away. Like I almost had this fear in the back of my mind that it was going to be something that I did for like six, maybe nine months, and then died out. And it didn't. We're here. Anyway, that was way too long of an introduction. 50 episodes. We're here to celebrate. I'm reviewing Spirited Away. If you didn't know that from the title when you clicked on the episode, Spirited Away. 2001 Studio Ghibli movie directed by Hao Miyazaki. Amazing film. We'll get into it right here with the first segment. Two cents. Here we go. Just spoiler-free knee-jerk reaction to the film. Uh, And honestly, well, I have so many things to say. The energy right now is so high. It's it's really late. I need to be going to bed. I have to wake up early in the morning. But as I wrote this episode, the thoughts were just flowing. I just knew that energy had to continue as I record. So hopefully it's being conveyed as you're listening and you're excited as much as I am. Anyway, to try and refocus uh, two cents. A lot of Hayao Miyazaki films, as I've been sharing them with my family members, I kind of feel like are those classic books you had to read in your literature class in high school or your English class. Maybe it was in college. I don't know. Those books you had to read like Lord of the Flies or Grapes of Wrath or The Scarlet Letter. I forget what it's called. Not Law and Order. Uh, I don't know. The Russian book. I forget what it's called. Anyway, those classic, the book doesn't matter. Those classic books that you know, it, at least my experience in my literature classes is that I would read them because it was an assignment and maybe there was parts of it that enjoyable and like I could appreciate the talent in creating it, but I didn't understand it at first and it was just like weird and I didn't like it and I, I didn't get it. But then because you have a good teacher, hopefully that teacher helps you understand the ideas, the themes, the meanings behind the book. And the more you understand the message the more you like the book and the better and better and better it gets, the more and more you learn. Well, a lot of Miyazaki films I'm learning, the more I experience them, are like that. Especially this one. I think this one more than any other. And my hope, as you're listening, is that I can be one of those good teachers to you that helps you appreciate it for the amazing piece of art that it is. That's a big big responsibility to live up to, but I'm going to try and do it and I hope I can. So back to the actual film here. It's, it's got all those things that you're going to love from a studio Ghibli film, specifically a Miyazaki film, amazing animation, beautiful music, a thoughtful and contemplative story with heavy and real themes, amazing directing power, a strong lead, uh, female hero flying, Themes about the environment, respect for nature, maturity, unity, empathy, all those wonderful and beautiful things that you can appreciate from a Miyazaki film. And it just like, imagine all those things elevated perfectly. Just masterful, just has a masterful touch on each one of those things because of Miyazaki's direct involvement in each one of these. You can tell he really cared about this film. 
I'm almost getting into the bitch points here, but but side, side note, he came out of retirement, so to speak, to make this film. Now, that's not the first time he's done it. It's probably not the last, but you can tell he cares so much about the story he's making here, and it's wonderfully directed. But to get to the actual knee-jerk reaction, which is what the two cents is all about at first, like, movie ended, credits were rolling, I'm sitting there with my thoughts. I did not like it because I was confused. And not confused because it's badly told or not good or it, it's a confusing story, but confused because I didn't know what I was thinking. I didn't know how my real experience I just had and my expectation, expectations didn't meet and how they did. And it, it was a really, really confusing experience. The more I wrote, the more I thought, the more I kind of developed the ideas in my head, I realized it's an allegory. And understanding something for the first time, especially in this way, it takes a lot of thought and it takes a lot of work. And I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know if it was just the reputation of the film, but it wasn't what I was expecting. And it was hard for me to digest it and understand it and appreciate it. And I just felt confused because I didn't know what to think. And I had a lot of conflicting emotions. Um... And it's because I was trying to define it as like a good versus bad, a hero and a villain type thing. I mean, it is the monomyth hero's journey format. And so I was looking, there's a hero, where's a villain? Um, but it's way more realistic than that. There's a lot of gray, similar to a lot of other Miyazaki's films. It's a touching story about a child gaining her identity and maturing along the process. It's definitely an allegory, like I said, about life and growing up and responsibility and maturity and I was hesitant to record because all my thoughts were pretty negative. Like I was going to sit down and just kind of say it didn't live up to the hype and the expectations is overrated. The animation's really beautiful, but beyond that, the film itself is overrated. And you know, I can't really put into words what I was expecting. I'm getting a little into live up here. I guess it's kind of all mixed together here, two cents without spoiling anything, but I don't know what I was expecting. But it, whatever I was expecting didn't happen. I, I don't know if it's because of like the, the, the Oscar win or like the huge love that this film has. Like most people have heard of this film, even if they haven't heard of other Miyazaki films. Like I was expect, expecting it to be really, really accessible, almost a little simpler, a little more childish for lack of better words. Um, but it's not that. It, it's very, very... It, it's, it's an allegory. It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of contemplation. And it takes a lot of... You, you don't turn off the film and you walk out and you were entertained and that was your two hours because you were entertained. Like There's definitely entertainment value in it. But just go into the film with the right mindset. But on top of that, it is beautiful to watch. It's beautiful to listen to. And once you do think about the story all of those things that you appreciate, all that beauty is just escalated. It's, it's seriously amazing. Just going with the right um, mindset. Uh, but having said kind of how I was disappointed coming back and learning about it and spending that time, I've never been more excited about a podcast episode. Never, ever, ever. And I'm not just saying that for dramatic effect. Like, like genuinely, I've never felt this excited to sit down and convey my ideas and have people listen to them. Um, it's because I love sharing insights. It's just, it's just something that I love, specifically when I feel they're important and when they're impactful and the excitement behind what I personally learned from this film, I just can't wait to share. So let's move on from two cents. It's probably been way longer than two minutes. On to the next segment, Pick Your Poison, which is the basement binge rating scale. So instead of stars or out of 10 or percentages or whatever, there's four options based off how would we react to the, how, how, what is our reaction to this film after seeing it? To never watch it again, self-explanatory. Above that, a step above that, third place, so to speak, is to stream it. If it's on a streaming service you're already subscribed to, you're numbingly scrolling, looking for something to watch, and you see it, you'll, you'll throw it on. Above that is rent. You'd be willing to pay a few bucks in the mood or in the right scenario to watch it. And top of the list, obviously, is to buy it own it watch as many times as you want you're willing to fork over the entire price for it to share with people 
to value it, to treasure it, to keep it, all of those things. So obviously, because like I mentioned, I lean towards buying movies and collecting them. This is a buy, and I bought it blind. I'd never seen this film, and I bought it because of my trust in Howie Miyazaki, but more specifically, my trust in Spirited Away and what I've heard about it, which was just great. Like, I hadn't heard anything about the story. I knew absolutely nothing except for it was loved, and it won an Oscar, and it was amazing, and it was directed by Howie Miyazaki. And now having watched it, if you would have asked me before, I would have said, well, maybe I would rent it. I, I really didn't th- find value in revisiting it. But now, after doing my work and, and putting thought into it, this is probably the going to be the most revisited film on my shelf. And, and not just for entertainment value. Like, there's definitely movies I'm going to rewatch more out of entertainment, but out of the desire to study it and learn from it and be impacted by it um, and enjoy it in a, in a powerful, powerful way. So that is the end of the spoiler wall here at the Basin Binge, meaning spoilers are coming. Now, if you haven't seen this film, don't just click off. Spoilers aren't a huge thing with this film. If you're really touchy about spoilers, that's fine. Before you go, if you're new, thanks for being here. If you're returning, Welcome back. Thanks for being here. If you are new, please get subscribed. There's a lot of things coming. If you aren't new, make sure you're subscribed because there are a lot of things coming. Episodes on The Mandalorian, Hell's Moving Castle, like I mentioned, ranking my entire Blue Lake correction. Lots of things I'm excited about. Um, but again, spoilers aren't huge. Um, but if you do want to go and watch the film, I highly recommend it. The, everything I'm going to say is going to be that much more meaningful if you've seen the film. Again, you don't need to because spoilers aren't a huge deal here. Anyway, I'm very excited. Uh, once you do see the film, if you do leave, come back because I'm so excited about what I have to say. Anyway, on to the next segment. And because this is the first time I've ever seen this film, we get to throw in the segment again, live up. So this is just where I kind of share what my expectations were and if it lived up to them. Um, and all of my expectations have to do with the the prestige that this film holds, particularly in animated, in, in, I'm not going to say genre because animation isn't a genre, but the category of animation, but also just film appreciation in general and also in Studio Ghibli. It's the highest rated animated film on the IMDb. It's in the IMDb top 250. It's the first animated film to show up out of any of them. It's like number 27 or I don't have the exact same pulled up, but it's the first animated movie in the IMDb Top 250. It won the second ever Academy Award for Best Animated Film uh, in 2000, 2002, the 75th Oscars. It's still, to this day, the only hand-drawn animated movie to win that award. All the other movies have been 3D or, or CG animation. This is the only hand-drawn anima- animated film to win that award. Um, it's often acclaimed as Miyazaki's greatest film, which is an accomplishment in all the incredible pieces of art that his films are. Uh, it's a cult classic that people love. It, it has a lot to live up to if any film ever has. And like I said, in two cents, I wasn't sure what I was expect, expecting, but I think I was expecting it to be accessible um, because of that kind of that comparison to a classic book. Like, like everybody's heard of those classic books, but not everybody's read them. And it's a lot of work to read them and they're powerful to read and they're important to read and more people should read them. But it doesn't mean everybody always does because it does take a lot of work. And I figured the, the barrier of entry, uh, I was not expecting because of the great claim that this got. But the more I think about it, maybe that's a reason it got so much fame because of the maturity that it has. Anyway, it didn't live up to the expectations initially. Having said that, sitting down, totally blew any expectations I could have set away. Now, I can't compare the real experience to my expectations because they're two totally different things. But just the height of the expectations that I have, this surpasses without a doubt. Incredible film, very touching. Like I said, I've never been more excited. So let's get to what I'm excited about. And that's the last segment, Fallen. So I'm just going to go through the rest of these very quickly. Bench points. First, I have to mention this. There were many, many, many instances when watching this film, I had to remind myself what I am seeing is hand-drawn. Now, I don't have a number how many cells or how many drawings 
hand-drawn. Not a computer, hand-drawn. The way, the movement of things, the water, the lights, the, the way the spirits are drawn, the translucent things and, and like the fluid and oh my gosh, it's beautiful and I can't believe people drew it. That, I don't know. The other things, this film was made without a, a script. I'm learning for the first time with this film that apparently that's something that Miyazaki does frequently. He kind of lets the film make itself as they do with storyboards and they start the animation before the storyboards are even complete. Like, what incredible vision. Seriously, talented people. Um, other things that I just want to talk about in the sub versus dub category again. I mentioned this a little bit on Nausicaa. And I didn't take my firm stance because I was a little hesitant, maybe a little bit nervous, but I'm going to take my stance now. Uh, it's a stupid conversation. Whether you watch a sub or a dub, I don't care. Just enjoy the film because it's important and it's amazing and it's touching. And if you're really going to argue whether a sub or a dub is better, that I, that's just really trivial and kind of insignificant. They're both great. In this situation, I happen to like the sub more which I'll get into in a second. But they're both amazing. They both have value. Stop arguing about it and just appreciate the work of art that it is. Um, but besides that, I don't have anything new to say about this conversation. I think it's kind of silly. But on to the sub and why, or not the subs, excuse me. I said that backwards already. The dub and why I like the dub. Meaning, if you're unfamiliar, sub meaning subtitles. You're watching in Japanese and have English subtitles at the bottom. Dub meaning it's dubbed over with English voice actors, obviously speaking in English. That's what I prefer, mainly because I speak English and I like hearing the inflections in people's voices. But specifically in this case, why I value it over the sub, because there are some films where I enjoy the sub like Shadow. Anyway, is this film like I had a nostalgic response to the voice actors. So Chihiro is the English voice actor is Davy and Chase. I think that's how you say her name. Uh, the same voice actress is Lilo from Lilo and Stitch. Um, she was 11 when she did the voice acting for Spirited Away. And Lilo and Stitch, one of my favorite films of a kid. Watched it so many times. So her immediately hearing a voice, I knew exactly who she was. And it was very homely. It was very welcoming. Um, the other things, the voice actor for Haku, Jason Marsden. He's a goofy in the goofy movies. Um, the voice actor for Kamaji, David Ogden Steers. I didn't recognize it was him because his work is so amazing. Um, of course, the Disney Pixar Lucky Charm, John Ratzenberger. He's the assistant manager in this film. His voice is it's kind of like a cameo in this one, but it's immediately recognizable. Uh, Susan Egan as Lynn, who's Meg from Hercules. I'm, I mean, just these voices that I've heard watching animation as a kid forever just like immediately made me feel at home. Despite how foreign this film feels, which I'll get to in a second, like the voices made me feel at home. Uh, and that was really important and because for the most part, I was a little bit disconnected uh, from this film. I, I mean, I guess I'll talk about it now. There's a lot about this film that I'm sure I would understand more if I was Japanese or not, or if I just understood Japanese culture and ideas and, and, and belief systems, which, which I don't. And I don't want to try and pretend like I do. Most of the things went over my head. And I'm sure there's a lot more I could get about the, out of this film and a little more connected to it if I understood the things about the spirits and, and some of the words they were saying and, and the significance of things. And maybe there isn't any significance of things and I didn't miss anything, but it felt really foreign because it's written and made from a foreign culture. And it, it's valuable to experience that. I'm not, I'm not saying it's negative by any means. It's just... It's foreign. It's, it's new. It's, it's unfamiliar. I don't understand it. I'm lost. Uh, so having those voices that like immediately just made me feel at home was really grounding for me. And I love all the voice work that was done in this film. It, it was actually really, really well done. And apparently from what I've read is considered one of the better dubs done in anime anywhere. Anyway, I do have one complaint about the dub. Is that at the end of the film... Chihiro's dad asks her, like, oh, a new home, a new school, are you going to be right? And Chihiro responds by saying, like, yeah, I, can th I think I can handle that. In the original, the Japanese version, she doesn't respond. She just contemplates on what she experienced. And from what Miyazaki said, she actually forgets her experience altogether, uh, as do the parents. And 
the the adding of that line in the end of the the English version kind of changes that, and I don't like it. Uh, I wish I, I like the under better. Well, wow, words. I like the other ending better, where she doesn't respond; she just contemplates on her experience. Other binge points about this film: the writing is way too good for me to understand. Um, it's interesting how the film, and and maybe it's because it doesn't need to, because it's grounded in Japanese culture that I don't know anything about. Um, but there's a lot of things or lore, so to speak, that I didn't understand. Um, the world building is really solid, uh, but not all of it's relevant or or maybe relevance, not the right word. Not all of it is necessary of retention, um, which has to do with the talent and writing. Uh, I mean, like, what the heck is a purple hair tie? And what happens to Haku at the end? And where does this magic come from? And who's a human and who's not? And what's with this breathing thing? And why does it show up? And, like, how did the parents get there? And, and how how is Yababa... Is, is she a human? Is Lynn a human? How does Yababa have a sister? And, like, how did she become the queen of the bathhouse? And why is the baby so big? And what are those three heads? And... Why does she fly around like a bird? And why can River Spears look like a human and turn to a dragon? And like, like, I'm sure there's a lot of things that I would just appreciate if I understood Japanese culture, but I don't. And I can appreciate them in the film and for what they stand to, but and it, it, it's credit to the writing. I can appreciate those things without understanding them. And although they're not totally explained, I don't need them to be because the writing is so well done. I understand the importance enough to carry me through it without ever feeling lost or confused. But like, look, after experiencing the film and at the end thinking about it as a whole, I was like, well, what about these things that like, I remember, I don't know. It, it's amazing writing. It's, it's like too good for me to even understand. Um, some other things I've learned as I researched this Miyazaki, uh, how Miyazaki, the director of this film, the writer of the film has a degree in political science in addition to another degree that I forgot, but political science and it, having that and then being an animator and a storyteller, you can tell. He, he knows what he's talking about. He's an educated man. And he has valuable things to say. And he conveys them in a very artful way. It's amazing. Um, the other things, his directorial touch in this film is amazing. He oversaw the animation of everything. When he made the film, he was 60. He's 79 now, almost 80. But every everything, he oversaw the animation of the entire thing. He was directly involved in the music and the drawing and all of it. After doing the storyboards and the directing, or wow, the storyboard and the story himself, he oversaw each individual drawing and reviewed them all. Amazing, amazing devotion to the art that he was creating. Um, But that's all the bench points. Let's move on to least and likes. So what that is, least favorite scene, favorite scene. Honestly, this has been a cop-out lately, but these films I'm watching are just so good, I genuinely do not have a least favorite scene. Like the, although my initial reaction to the film wasn't great because I was confused. And although I don't totally understand Japanese culture, there was never a moment where I didn't love what I was seeing because, and if nothing else was drawing me in the beautiful hand-drawn animation I was seeing had me hooked hundred percent. So don't have a least favorite. This film doesn't even deserve to have a least favorite mentioned with it. It's that good. So on to my favorite my like, so to speak. Um, and it has to do with Chihiro's bravery. Specifically, from the point she helps the river spirit, the stink spirit, to when she leaves to go see Yababa's sister, Zaniba, is that her name? I'm forgetting. Like, she is brave and helps the stink spirit when nobody else does despite difficulty and opposition. Uh, then she decides to save Haku and fights like incredible opposition. She scales the side of the bathhouse. Uh, then when she's confronted with the responsibility of no face, she goes and handles that like a champ without even questioning it, without even giving up. She literally says, I'll handle that now. And then she changes her motives to give something to somebody that she loves, that she was holding on for other people that she loves. Like, it's just so much bravery instantly. Uh, it's amazing, really connecting me to Chihiro. 
or sin, as she's called at the time. Um, it was amazing. So that was my favorite. And specifically the scene where she's in the boiler room and she's feeding Haku the dumpling, I think it is, that kind of heals him um, and saves him. It's just phenomenal. Chihiro is an amazing 10-year-old girl. And I don't have anything else to say about that. Let's move on to the next. The last, wow, this has been going fast. But good, this is, this is the meaty part. Fall in, the last segment of the podcast and the one that I've been very, very excited about. So, Fall in, this is where I dive into the themes and messages of the film and where I want to live up to that expectation to be a good teacher for you about this classical book to com- bring it back to that comparison super quick. Living up to that I desire to be a teacher that helps you appreciate this art um, that can be difficult to digest uh, is a lot. So let's kind of talk about some of the themes that are obvious in it. Um, one of the first ones that you can recognize from the story is the value of a name, which I'll get into later. But my first thoughts was why don't I value that theme? That specific theme, although present and listening to other podcasts and doing a lot of research about like it, it didn't send out to me and other people had really profound things to say about it. And even when they were saying, I was like, eh, like, sure. Like not, like not that I'm disagree with them, but like, it just didn't resonate with me. Um, and I don't want to pretend to have something intelligent to say about it, but it's there. If that's something you value and you took it from that, that's amazing. I didn't. <laughs> but there's some other things as well that I that are there that I personally didn't resonate with me. Um, the different ideas of more traditionalism, you having your roots and your history, the older beliefs versus, versus a new Western world. Um, you know, you have the ideas about like the dad driving an imported Audi and saying that he's got credit cards and cash with more traditional Japanese cultures and sculptures and symbolisms and spirits and the parents not noticing, but Chihiro noticing and the European look of Yababa's room or whatever it's called versus the more traditional Japanese style of the rest of the bathhouse. Like the conflict of those things and, and the Western world um, invading that more traditionalist mindset and how it hurts those things. Um, a little bit of greed and how there's... That's all mixed into it. I was going to say more about greed, but I'll save it for later. So that's there. But again, that I've not really experienced that. I was born and grew up in the Western world. And as it's continuing to change, I'm kind of right there in it. Uh, so yeah, that that's there. It's a great message, but I don't have anything to say about it because I've never experienced it. Let's talk about something else. Environmental elements. You can't view a Miyazaki film without having this notice, which I think is just phenomenal. Like, this is... Not that I have a personal experience about the environmental crisis or anything like that, but Miyazaki, like I said, he's almost 80 years old. He's a 79-year-old man. Um, the idea of the environmental crisis or the global warming as it was kind of once... Uh, tagged as has recently been a more steadily talked about topic a more hot topic and for good reason um and science has been a little bit more supported in that way at, at least in the part of the world i live in um and in the part of the world that i live in i don't want to throw anybody under the bus and i'm not, definitely not generalizing but in my experience and the people around me most people the age of how Miyazaki don't view our treatment of the world as bad. Um, they don't think, they, they, they kind of ignore it. And I'm not trying to like random parade on anybody's beliefs, but I just think it's really interesting the level of care that somebody at the age he does has for these things that in the experience I have in life, people of his age don't. Um, and it's just amazing to see someone so committed to something they feel is important. Uh, no matter what you believe about it. Anyway, on to the last theme that I noticed, and this is the one that got me excited about it. This is the one that deeply and personally resonated in me and stuck with me and has been on my mind nonstop for the past two days um, and is going to be probably for weeks. 
the more I thought about it, the stronger it became. Um, and that's the idea of growing up. Something we all have to do. We don't get to choose when we grow up. Uh, and sometimes at the fault of our parents and the circumstances we're in, that can happen a little sooner or later like it does for Chihiro. Um, if you didn't know, Chihiro's 10 in the events of this story. So, I mean, it's, it's not a new idea, the theme or concept of needing to grow up and also not losing yourself and your childness, childness, your childlike positive qualities as you grow up um, and sticking true to your identity and, and growing up and the competition of that against the force of growing up. It's a very interesting one. Um, that growing up that happens to all of us is something that's forced on us very strongly by responsibility. Change is a very, very hard thing. Try and change a habit, good or bad. Change is hard. I'm trying to change some things about myself right now. And it's how, no matter how deeply I care about it, I stumble. I still fall back into bad habits. Change is a very, very hard thing. But unlike that, the change to grow up feels instant. Um, life forces you to change almost immediately. Um, reflecting on my own experience, actually, let's talk about Chichiro, because that's, wow, Chihiro, because that's something that we've both experienced. She immediately goes from seeing her parents turn into pigs to being totally terrified to getting a job to save her parents' life and prevent them from becoming vacant. Like, her, her parents are not deserving of this devotion and love she gives to them. But in the course of the film, it's pretty immediate. In the, in the events of a lifetime, it's pretty immediate how she goes from a little girl who's a little bit whiny because she's a little girl and that's what, how little girls are because she's afraid to a brave and committed, intelligent, strong 10-year-old girl. I don't feel comfortable calling her a woman because she's 10 years old. She seriously and immediately lives up to a heavy, heavy responsibility that her parents kind of failed at. Um, and it, it, it's phenomenal. Her, her immediate reaction as a child is to run away um, and then to sit and to hide because she can't run away. Um, that stress can consume you. If you think about it in life, there's a moment where you go from being a child to being under the care of your parents and not really having a responsibility to suddenly having a ton of responsibility. And whatever point you want to decide that is in your life, whether it's when you graduate high school or graduate college or in the middle of high school or way before that or somewhere way after that, there is a point where responsibility hits you and it hits you very hard. And there's bills to pay and money to make and dreams to catch and and family to love and connections to make and and the list goes on and on and stress builds up uh, and that can consume a lot of people. And, it, and it's sad because that consumption can cause us to just sit there and waste away and eventually disappear like almost happens to Chihiro. Or maybe you're turned into a chicken to be wait, just a wait to be eaten because Yababa decided you were going to be a chicken. Like, sadly... There's a lot of people who don't leave up to that live don't live up to that immediate challenge of change, and and there's a lot of things that go into complicating that. And there's a lot of people who need our help and our empathy, but at the same time, that responsibility falls on everybody, and it's kind of sad, but it's it's real. There's a moment where you've got to wake up, and you're not worried about what you're going to have for lunch that your mom put in your backpack for school. You're trying to go to work and earn enough money so you can pay for your kid's lunch that he may or may not have based off how you perform today. Like, that's heavy. And I'm, I'm giving these analogies because they're very personal to me and they're, they're what I experience. And everybody's experience is going to be different. But the principle is true that there's a moment where we're not a kid anymore in the idea that suddenly or have responsibilities, and therefore, we're an adult. Um, anyway, back to Chihiro. Being a 10-year-old girl, she never, ever gives up. She persists. She fights back against opposition. She relies on the help of other intelligent people who've 
have experience and her offering her love and guidance. She doesn't, she's humble enough to accept it, but, but to her own merit, she's humble and she's also persistent. She goes and asks for a job and doesn't accept no for an answer. She doesn't give up. At any moment when confronting Yubaba, she could have given up and said, I don't want a job, and she would have been turned into a chicken or a pig with her parents. But she didn't say that. And despite having her mouth zipped zip shut and floating in the air by a witch or whatever Yababa is, she persists and continually asks for a job. And now the way she does it is a little bit whiny, but she's a 10-year-old girl. She's using her experiences and her ability to confront life and to persist. And that has a lot to do with her results. There's a podcast I was listening to recently about goals and about how when we set goals, we need to take luck out of the equation. There's a little bit of luck that happens in a lot of things, but most certainly the thing that's going to provide you success to that goal is your commitment, your devotion. You know, Thomas Edison, he's smart. Let's bring something he said in here. Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain ways to succeed is always to try one more time. Chihiro never gave up. She tried time and time again, from place to place, of course, with the help of other good people, to get a job. And she did, for the purpose of saving her parents from becoming bacon. Like, it's such immediate love and commitment to her parents, who frankly aren't very deserving, but she never gives up on that. And it's amazing because there are so many moments in my own life where I feel like I'm giving up to the pressure that life is demanding of me. We can relate Yababa to life. Life is demanding. Life is cruel. But life says yes when you sit there and you demand for it to give you an opportunity. I have a belief that for people who will always try one more time, life will eventually say yes because it has to. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. Let's get back to Chihiro's journey, okay? So she diligently, persistently does not give up to this immediate responsibility that she has because her parents chose poorly. She suddenly has a responsibility of getting a job and surviving in this bathhouse to save her parents, and she has to get a job. Like, that's just immediate. You don't get a job, you're going to die or whatever. Dying is a little extreme. But your existence will end poorly if you don't get a job. Okay, that is... A little bit on the nose, but it's true. Okay? So, given the opportunity to get a job, she immediately works hard. Like, you got to work hard. Nothing comes for free. She, she works so hard. Like I said earlier, she's humble. She asks for guidance of how to do things. But then she takes that guidance and she goes and takes action. And she never quits. Whether she's trying to get a bath token, she doesn't take no for an answer. She's got a job to do. She's going to do it. She's got a responsibility to live up to. And despite the fact that she's a 10-year-old girl, a 10-year-old human who's looked down on and seen as having a weakness and less than everyone else, she does not give up. And she probably has to work harder than anybody else because she's a 10-year-old girl and not a river spirit or whatever these other people happen to be. And she works so hard. She's the type of person to relate to something that I've shared with many friends where she takes all this, she gets up every morning and she looks life in the face and says, I fear no man. If you've heard of that phrase before, it's a powerful one. When I was serving as a missionary, and, and not to distract with religion or anything like that, when I was serving as a missionary, a large responsibility that we have as missionaries is to talk to individuals. And if you're an introvert, if you're nervous, it's pretty hard and it's really really awkward and so something that i would do is i'd wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and i would say i fear no man i wasn't going to let any man or my fear of any man or woman or thing prevent me from doing what i was there to do and the responsibility that i committed to um and chihiro she's not a missionary she doesn't have to be and you don't have to be you can look life in the eye and say i fear no man there's nothing no fear, no obligation, no difficulty that is going to prevent you from doing what you need to do. Anyway, this all culminates, all of this persistence, all of this dedication, this hard work culminates together when Shihiro decides to save Haku. 
by making peace with Zaniba, helping No Face, and still working to save her parents. Like all these deep things that other people aren't willing to do, aren't aware of the need to do, and don't know how to do, she does. To the point where she takes a train and I forget who tells her that the train doesn't come back and she says, it's okay, I'll walk along the tracks back. It's just like, what? Girl? Are you, what? You're just gonna walk back. You have no idea how long this train is. You're just gonna, you haven't even, you haven't even solved the first problem and you've already decided you're just gonna walk back. Like, whoa, the, the, the commitment to just, I'm gonna do it. Like, you, okay, I'm, I'm not stopping you. Clearly you aren't either. Like, she just immediately commits to the responsibility that she has to do the things she cares about. She loves Haku in a brotherly, sisterly way. She loves her parents. She has a relationship with No Face, and she also has a responsibility as a person who lent No Face into the bathhouse, and she's not shying away from any of those responsibilities. It's an amazing level of maturity and bravery from a 10-year-old girl. So despite all of those amazing things, she never, ever loses sight of who she is. Like Despite having to live up to those heavy responsibilities, she doesn't lose who she is. Uh, she doesn't give in to the gold from No Face like so many other people do. A 10-year-old girl's got to be the one who knows it's wrong to take more than you need. That's amazing. A 10-year-old girl values home more than gold. Why do I have to learn that lesson from a 10-year-old girl? Like, shouldn't I know that? I'm older. I'm supposed to be more experienced. But I had to learn that lesson from a 10-year-old girl. That's amazing. Other th- amazing thing she does to not lose her counter, despite the incredible pressure she's on from obligations, she doesn't judge people based off other people's words. Like Haku, she gives him the benefit of the doubt to the point where she saves his life. He was lost, like so many people were. And so people judged him, but she loved him. She doesn't forget herself and her identity. She doesn't forget about her parents, which honestly I did because they're not very deserving. She doesn't, she notices a no face in the cold rain and invites him in. And then she doesn't hide away from the responsibility she had or or the consequences she has to have or has to face based off that decision. She thinks critically and she makes decisions. She recognizes the responsibility of love for individuals and she lives up to it. A very, very sacred phrase that my father-in-law says sometimes is that she rises to the occasion. And if my wife listens to this, she'll know what I mean. It's amazing to have my father-in-law tell that about somebody. And I think he'd be okay with me saying that Chihiro does. A 10-year-old girl does all of these things. And I know it's a story and an allegory, but it's profound to think about individuals who genuinely do this. Now, I'm not done yet. More than just doing all these things, she becomes something more. She becomes more of herself, more refined, more experienced, a better version. This is a weird thing to say, but compared to the beginning, from the beginning of the film to the end, I found myself physically attracted to a drawing. That, that doesn't make any sense. And it was actually Miyazaki's intentions. He expressed that in an interview that through this progression, this experience, this refining that she goes through, she becomes more attractive. And that's not just, I'm not just talking physically. There's just an attraction that you have to an individual of this stature. Now, that's weird to say because it's a drawing and a 10-year-old girl, but the, the principle behind it is profound. Anyway, I'm quickly running out of time here. Let's talk about No Face. Move on from Chihiro a little bit and talk about No Face. So, No Face is a profound lesson about the negative and positive, but mostly negative power of influence and how we are morphed by what we are around. So let's talk about the story of No Face. Initially, he's welcomed into the bathhouse by Chihiro's kindness. Once in the bathhouse, he's morphed by the greedy environment of the bathhouse. I mean, he he eats a frog. I mean, is there a better representation of a dog-eat-dog world? Like, he consumes someone, literally, for the benefit of himself. There's a lot of people who think that that's the only way to get ahead in the world. And he is morphed and changed by the more he consumes, the more he's around the environment, the more he's around people who give in to his offer of greed. 
and the excess and the gluttony. And the thing about excess is it's never enough until it's too much. So he just comes this giant mass. But Chihiro, being the loving individual she is, she wears off on him. She loves him and doesn't give in to the greed that he offers. And as the greed leaves him, physically, literally leaves him, he's again influenced by her selfless calm. And he stays to remain peacefully and enjoys cake, which I thought was like the most endearing, cute thing ever of an animation when they go to uh, Zimbabwe. Zaniba, when they go Zimbabwe, wow, when they go to Zaniba's house and he's sitting there eating his cake and like the mouth halfway down the body from the mask thing, I don't, I don't know. It was endearing. It was cute. It made me love him. Um, yeah, and that is a very, very shortly expressing how we are constantly thrown about by the influences and environments about us. Um, the name of No Face is perfect because. Losing your name, your face, your identity, or never having one, being a no-face, you are completely at the mercy of whatever is around you. Hopefully, but not all the time, hardly ever, is it the influence of someone like Chihiro. More often than not, it's usually the influence of the bathhouse. And that influence is getting larger and larger and larger. We live in a world where there's more influence than ever before. And if you don't have solid ground to stand on, about who you are and what your identity is, you honestly don't stand a chance. You have to decide what and who you are and then live up to that decision. And there is so many forces trying to dissuade you otherwise. This is a really complex thing, way more than just the forces around us in the world. There's, there's influences within ourselves. I mean, earlier in the podcast, I said this specific thing, hard work, nothing comes for free. That is a true statement, but that can have a lasting twist on your priorities because the more you need something to survive the easier it becomes to be greedy and to be consumed by the need for it in a very very negative way and the amazing thing about Chihiro is that she never gives into that she works hard for the sole purpose of the love for her family she never loses sight of that and I'm, you may be like me and forgotten about her undeserving parent pigs, but she doesn't, and I shouldn't have, because they deserve it despite their imperfections, and she doesn't lose sight of her true purpose and isn't consumed by the opportunity for greed. Like I said, I had to be taught by a 10-year-old girl the values home more than gold. Now, not that I value gold, not that I'm seeking riches by any means, but I like things. I like, I could add a few more Blu-rays to my collection on the shelf over here. I could buy a nicer house, you know. Like, but even more than just wants, I, I want to put food on the table for my wife. I want to be able to afford the cost of having a baby and everything that comes along with that. I want to be able to provide an opportunity for my future children. Like, I put myself in the situation. I would probably be consumed by no face if he held me out a pile of gold. Now. This is a little extreme and I'm watering it down a little bit because I'm sure I would think about it critically in that moment. And that's an important thing. It's critical thinking. I don't know where I'm pulling this out of. This isn't even written down. I don't even know where I'm going. Hopefully I can bring this back in. But critical thinking. Wow. I totally just distracted myself from my distraction. Yeah. It's something to think about. If I was in that situation, striving to save my family from whatever peril there is around them, and someone handed me a bunch of gold, how would I know not to take it because I don't need it? And there's a big difference between want and need. And if you need, like really need it, then you'll know. But it's an amazing that Chihiro never lose sight of, loses sight of that. She has something within herself. And I was doing some digging about the film and the closing credits song, um, it's in Japanese, but... It's called Always With Me. And I looked up the translation of it. I'm just going to read it. You know, who cares how long this is. Somewhere a voice calls in the depths of my heart. May I always be dreaming the dreams that move my heart. So many tears of sadness, uncountable through and through. I know on the other side of them I'll find you. Every time we fall down to the ground, we look up to the blue sky above. We wake to see its blueness as for the first time. 
Though the road is long and lonely and the end far away, out of sight I can with those two arms embrace the light. As I bid farewell my heart stops, in tenderness I feel, my silent empty body begins to listen to what is real. The wonder of living, the wonder of dying, the wind, town, and flowers, we all dance one unity. Somewhere a voice calls in the depths of my heart, keep dreaming your dreams, don't ever let them part. Why speak of all your sadness or of life's painful woes, instead let the same lips sing gentle song for you. The whispering voice we never want to forget, and each passing memory always there to guide you. When a mirror has been broken, shattered pieces scattered on the ground, glimpses of new life reflected all around. Window of beginning, stillness, new light of the dawn. Let my silent empty body be filled and reborn. No need to search outside, nor sail across the sea, because here, shining inside me, it's right here inside me. I found a brightness, it's always with me. Wow, that is a beautiful, beautiful lyric. And I really wish that I understood Japanese to hear it spoken uh, natively, especially as it plays over the credits. Credits are important, and the music that are played there, especially as you've experienced something like Spirited Way. Um, you know, that, that commitment to what is right is something that I do feel is in all of us. And now that light can be dampened or brightened but it's in all of us. And that, that goodness within all of us is something that we can draw closer and closer to so that when a greedy hand offers us a chance to consume greed, we can know that we don't need it and can choose the, the better priority. But I'm not done yet. The most difficult thing that I've kind of been addressing a little bit about Chihiro's journey, and ours really as well, is that there really isn't a clear good and evil. Like I said, I was as this is a hero's journey, and Chihiro was kind of our hero, our heroine, I was looking for a villain. And the interesting thing is that there's just good and evil existing together in the bathhouse. Um, no person is really purely evil. And the, Chihiro just learns to survive in that grayness, like we all have to do. She's not trying to overcome some horrible force that's going to doom the whole universe. Like, like she's just learning to exist in the complexity of a gray world and all the forces and responsibilities and the needs and wants and dreams and doubts. And like I coined a phrase here, the needs and greeds, all of those things existing together within ourselves and within the world around us, you know, good and evil existing in one another as we strive to define who we are. That's, really complex to navigate. And I'm going to go quote someone who said something to me that was just phenomenal. It was my dad. He has no idea. But he said, life is not about eliminating all the problems, but how we approach them and what we learn from them. Now, it's not like a specific cookie cutter thing to what I was just doing, but there's a lot of problems personally. You know, I could say there's a lot of problems in the world, but you hear that all the time. There's a lot of problems in me and there's a lot of problems in you. And I am trying to navigate those within myself, I'm trying to approach them better, I'm trying to respond to them better. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to be better. Now, you have to take action. You have to become. You don't succeed by doing. You succeed by becoming. And as you learn, and as you approach these things, the better and better and better you become, and the easier it is to navigate through the grayness of this world. So thanks, Dad, for sharing that insight with me. Let's wrap it up here. This has been a long podcast. What, about, what does all this mean? No story, no matter how amazing it is, is going to stop the responsibilities of life. In all realities, we have responsibilities we have to live up to. If you listen to the Nausicaa podcast, I went recently and visited a special place to me and coming back was difficult because I had to come back to responsibility. That isn't going away. In all realistic need, in realisticness, responsibility is not going away. The key takeaway is to not lose yourself among the intense responsibility by understanding who you are and living up to it. The more you live up to that, the more you'll live up to your responsibility. 
and the better you'll be able to navigate the gray complexity of our world. But the process of discovering who you are is really only getting more complicated with technology and social media. I'm not by any means jealous of kids that are having to grow up. Now, a lot of people may think, well, I'm a kid. I'm right on the line of a Gen Z and millennial. And so there's definitely things that I'm experiencing, but I'm worried about my future kids. I'm, I'm worried about my younger siblings because there's so many things, experiences that are so much more complicated because of the level of influence, good and bad, but from my point of view, mainly bad, that the world and, and technology is having on us. That makes it hard to define who you are and, and like truly, truly define who you are and what you want to live your life by. So if you're wanting to figure those things out, two books that I really strongly recommend you read. Um, the first one is called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Amazing book about priorities and success and giving. And oh, it's just phenomenal. In fact, I think I might reread it now that I mention it. Uh, another great one that I want to reread is one I read back in high school. It's called Great Work by David Sturt. Um, I think the full title is Great Work, How to Make a Difference People Love. It's an amazing book. Both of them kind of focus about how you can figure out and determine how you want to live and to live by it. There's a lot to live up here. You know, growing up's a difficult thing because that responsibility comes so immediately. Um, and adapting and changing to that appropriately is really hard because change is difficult. Um, and I hope to be a little bit more like Chihiro, somebody who rises to that responsibility so immediately because of the people she loves, um, but doesn't lose her goodness, doesn't lose her awareness and love for other people. That's another thing. Chihiro notices things and people that often go unnoticed, that other people can forget or cast out. Chihiro is just an amazing 10-year-old girl, but... In all reality, Howie Miyazaki is this amazing storyteller and filmmaker who's really, the last few weeks, since seriously impacted my life for the better. And I was going to make a bold statement that Nausicaa was still my favorite film in Studio Ghibli and from Howie Miyazaki's work, but I can confidently say Spirited Away has taken the number one seat. Just barely above Nausicaa. But just because of how personally I related to the difficulty of navigating a gray world among priorities and greed and need and responsibility of adulthood and change and progression and improvement and all these heavy, heavy, difficult things that I don't think I talk about enough with myself and with, with anyone. So, yeah, amazing film. Been a long podcast. That was a long and very deep and heavy fall in. But I, I hope I lived up to my desire to be a good teacher for you who helped you appreciate this work of art, helped you take away from it, helped you improve, understand it, and appreciate it, and not just that, but genuinely learn and apply these things. That's what I'm hoping to do now. The next step after I was a teacher is now to apply them. So if you are still here after all that, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. It really helps out the show if you like it, if you could share it with someone or just simply re leave a review. The best place to do that is on podchaser.com slash the basement binge. Podchaser is an amazing site. If you don't know about it, talk a little bit more about it later, not tonight because it's a late episode, late night for me. I need to get in bed. Uh, but it's an amazing thing if you're into podcasts. Anyway, podchaser.com slash the basement binge. Leave a review. Um, of course, it's in the show notes. You can click on that, connect on social media. Um, let me know what you thought about Spirited Away, what you thought about the review. If I helped you understand it and appreciate it a little bit more, or if I just helped you understand how you can navigate the complexity of life that we're all in like Chihiro. If you are new here, if this was your first Base and Binge episode, thank you for so much for downloading and listening to this whole thing. This, this, is a, this is a deep one to get started with, but thanks for being here. If you're not subscribed, get subscribed wherever you download your podcast. There's lots of things coming Episodes on The Mandalorian, Season 2 starting, Howl's Moving Castle, my entire Blu-ray correction that I got to rank, which is a big task. Tons of other movies and franchises that we're going to be binging. Going to get back to those things. Uh, 
series on Cobra Kai coming. My wife and I just finished that. That's great. If you're looking for something to watch, Cobra Kai, that's awesome. Uh, but yes, things coming about that. Anyway, it's very, very late. I'm sure my wife is asleep and upset with me for being so loud. I'm exhausted. But I was so excited about what I had to say because of what I learned. Hopefully, I was able to be a good enough teacher and I lived up to my desire. Thank you for downloading The Basement Binge. Thank you for listening. And thank you for helping me get to 50 episodes. I would not keep doing this if people weren't responding to it. So please, kick up the response. Help me keep going. Let's get to 100 episodes and then the 200 and then the 400. Okay, we're going to look excessive here. I mean, we are going to get there, but right now I need to go to bed. That's the next step before I even get to 51 episodes. Thank you for listening. I'm rambling at the end. I guess that's just kind of tradition now. That's all for now. My name is Harrison. Ciao, ciao. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.